The Daily Tap is live for Thursday. It is June 22nd. We have Chris Middleton. What's next? We have the ideal Milwaukee Brewers lineup. We also have the Wisconsin Badgers and recruiting. What's going on there with their football team? Before I get going, uh, just a reminder, follow along on social media, Tevin Keg on Twitter, Tevin Keg Sports on Instagram, as well as TikTok. We will have draft coverage all day. Uh, we'll have some Middleton stuff as well. Uh, so look, look forward to that on all of those channels. Also, uh, make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast, uh, Apple, Spotify, wherever else you get it. Uh, we, Mitch and I will be doing a post first round draft show, so we won't necessarily talk about the box pick, but I will likely add a solo part of just here's my two minute, five minute take on whatever the Bucks do with that pick uh, so that you'll have sort of an opinion from us. You'll have an official stance on uh, my on my perspective on what the Bucks do. Again, that could be a completely meaningless pick. That could be a pick that you're just using as a two-way. That could be a pick that is involved in a trade. Um, I'm sure we'll all talk, whoever it is, it to be great in Summer League, but I will have some sort of content on that as well. Uh, and yeah, I'm sure we'll get Mitch's thoughts on Chris Middleton as well. So uh, stay tuned for that. But let's talk about what's next for Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton, outside of his deal, I don't think anybody is surprised by this. I think this is pretty much expected. We came to expect that Chris Middleton was not going to opt into his deal, which would have been $47 million, which would have been a lot of money, which would have handicapped the Bucks quite a bit in terms of getting Brooke Lopez back, in terms of getting any sort of free agents with the new CBA and the dreaded second apron. Uh, and Chris Middleton definitely took one for the team here. Uh, and I, I have to commend him, right? I have to commend Chris Middleton in doing that. Now, it's not all just selfless Chris Middleton, look at him, because he also did this to provide himself with some long-term flexibility and provide him with the ability to get a deal for four years, for five years, probably not five, but definitely four, maybe three, to sort of have the ability to get four years of money. And you look at that and you say, yeah, that, that makes sense. Like That makes sense why Chris Middleton would want to get a four-year, $130 million deal because it's his last big contract. He gets to get four years of freedom and gives him another chance at winning multiple championships. So Chris Middleton getting yet another deal is probably more beneficial this year than next year because if Chris Middleton falls off or Chris Middleton gets hurt again, if he opts into his player deal, then you're going to see, you could see a lot of problems, right? It could be that Middleton looks washed and that he gets three years, 100 from a team. He gets even less than that, maybe like two and 75. So this is a deal for Chris Middleton to sort of protect himself, but also help out the Bucks. It's honestly the perfect one-two punch. Like there's nothing wrong with what Chris Middleton is doing. And so I am, I'm kind of grateful for it. I also do not think that four for 130 is an overpay for Chris Middleton. I think had Chris Middleton had a great season in last year and had a bounce back year and Bucks, you know, were a damn near championship team, I think it would make things a lot more difficult for the Bucks and for Chris Middleton because I think he could have got paid upwards to 150, 160. There will be teams that are rumored with Chris Middleton, right? You're going to hear that. 
I know Orlando uh, sniffed around, I think, at one point. So I'm sure the Magic are going to be rumored that they're going to try to go after Chris Middleton. I'm sure there'll be other teams with cap space that like the idea of Chris Middleton because he is a veteran presence, which I think so many teams lack. And I do want to touch, touch on the Marcus Smart deal at the tail end of this pot, at the tail end of this segment. But with Middleton, like, I look at it and, and don't expect him to leave. I, I, I'd be stunned if Chris Middleton ended up leaving the Milwaukee Bucks. That to me would be as much of a double cross as I can remember in Milwaukee sports. Uh, we haven't had something like that in a long time. Uh, it would definitely make Middleton a villain, I think, in the area. I think we will be grateful for what Chris did. But the fact that he met with the media, or met with the, the owners, he was involved in the coaching discussions only to turn around his back and say, nah, fuck that. I'm going to go play for the Magic. Or I'm going to go play for the Houston Rockets. Or I'm going to go play for the San Antonio Spurs. And I, and I think like San Antonio, I think it was closer to like where he lives you know, in terms of Texas or well, went to school. He was from South Carolina, uh, but where he went to school in Texas A&M. So like Middleton was like, yeah, I'm going to go to Texas. I'm going to go to San Antonio. I'm going to cash out. I'm going to live where I did as a college kid and, you know, and do that, I, I guess I would understand, especially if they overpaid, but also it would seem like a villainous thing when you made sort of, you helped and were involved in some of the coaching sort of activity. So why would you be leaving this franchise and why wouldn't you want to win right now? It's not to say San Antonio can't be a playoff team next year with Victor Wembanyama. I think that is on the table for them. They also, but they're not going to be a championship team with Wembanyama year one. You know, that that's going to take some time for the Spurs to, you know, refine themselves and really be, you know, the Spurs of old, if you will. But obviously, Wembanyama is a great cornerstone to what the Spurs are trying to do. So I do not see Chris Middleton turning his back on the box. I think there will be rumors. I think Jeff Schwartz, I believe is his agent, uh, will try to get leverage, right? So there'll be things that are leaked out. You'll see Team X, Team Y, but all the leaks so far have been in the direction of he's going to be a Milwaukee Buck. There's mutual interest. The Bucks wanna bring Chris Middleton back. Everything that's being said is pointing more towards a reunion than a splitting, than a divorce. I, I think that would be the synonym there, or the, the anonym. I think that's the anonym, right? The opposite. Uh, so yes, I, I think it's a reunion for sure. I do not think it's a divorce. I think the Bucks are gonna set themselves up for success. I think they're gonna try to make another run at Brook Lopez. I am sneaky curious, and I'll get Mitch's thoughts on this because he's, he's more of a Brook Lopez guy than I am. It, are the Bucks willing to actually let go of Brook Lopez because he doesn't fit into what Adrian Griffin does? And because of that, is he sort of, or is there some hesitation to bring Brook back? I, I do wonder about that. Like I've had that thought, you know, I think every, I wouldn't say every day, but it's like when I think about Bucks for agency and kind of what their roster looks like, I just wonder is Brook part of it because his defense was so predicated on what Mike Boonholzer did Will will that change with Adrian Griffin? Does Adrian Griffin see Brook Lopez the same way, or does actually he see him in a different way? Remember, he played with a lot of guys who just had a ton of length. They didn't in Toronto. They didn't necessarily have like that stalwart center, um, and so that's that's just a food for thought. And I do think Lopez is going to get paid. I think the teams that we already mentioned, San Antonio, Houston specifically, like Houston's already talked about. They're very interested in Brooke Lopez. Now, would Brooke cash out? I mean, no state income tax. 
uh, that would be a great thing. I don't know if it's publicly known that he's having a kid, uh, but I, I have heard that he's having a kid. So I do think that factors in, right? Where do you want to raise your kid? Where, and I realize they're just a baby, but it's probably their, la their first three to four years that, that Brooke Lopez will be at this next destination. So we'll get Mitch's thoughts on that. We'll get his thoughts on, on Chris Middleton. Ultimately, there is no real reason to panic here. There's no reason to go crazy that Chris Middleton is suddenly not a member of the Milwaukee Bucks. This was always to be expected. I think everybody saw this sort of coming uh, who were kind of in the day-to-day, -day, who are reading between the tea leaves. So the Bucks are going to try to get this deal done, and I think it will end up being probably probably around four years, $130 million. That's the that's the figure that I think everybody is working for. I think having Chris Middleton for four more years will help the Bucks. I think you forget about what Chris Middleton did in that 2020, 2021 playoffs. Like that was so massive. And if it isn't for if it isn't for Chris Middleton, like the Bucks do not do not win that series. They do not win the finals. They do not win the Sun series. They do not win the Atlanta series. They do not win the Nets series. Like that's the impact that Chris Middleton had. And I, I feel like that is the overall reminder of what Chris Middleton can be. I think the last two years have been shoddy at best, but I, I'd also argue that 2022 Middleton was pretty solid. It just, he got hurt. And then the recovery just did not go the way that Chris Middleton wanted to. And from what I was, what I heard back in January is that there was some frustration with Antetokounmpo about the way Middleton was getting himself back healthy. And there, there was a little bit of a fissure there, but I think they've worked it out. I think they're, they're on the same path. And I, I think Middleton hopefully can have sort of the bounce back year that Brooke Lopez had last year, being fully healthy, you know, ready to roll, having a full year under his belt. I think that is completely vital. If I, I think the other re the other reason we talked about divorce earlier, that Middleton might not be on this roster or that the Bucks might shy away from Chris Middleton being on this roster would be is if they think his injury history is too much and there's something really wrong. And the Bucks have been good at that. I mean, Malcolm Brogdon is the clearest example. We talked a little bit about that yesterday uh, when we were saying, well, what might the Celtics do? Well, Celtics trade Marcus Smart literally a day later. But Malcolm Brogdon, you know, was a guy the Bucks moved off of because they did not trust his injury history. They did not believe that Malcolm Brogdon could stay healthy. And sure enough, Malcolm Brogdon couldn't stay healthy in Indiana. He couldn't stay healthy in Boston. And the Clippers had enough worries that they couldn't complete a three-team deal that would have sent them Malcolm Brogdon because they did not trust that his wrists or his whatever other injuries that he's going through, he could make it through. So that, to me, says it all about Malcolm Brogdon. And bring it back to Chris Middleton, had they... Had they believed the injury history was a lot, they I think they would be more than comfortable to letting Chris Middleton go. But he is not. He is with the Bucks, and I or he's not with the Bucks, but he should he should be with the Bucks sooner rather than later. Moving on really quickly to talk about the Marcus Smart deal uh, as it relates to the Bucks. So Porzingis. Chris Porzingis goes to the Boston Celtics. The Boston Celtics also get the 23rd pick from this year. They get the Grizzlies pick for next year. Uh, the Grizzlies get Marcus Smart. The Washington Wizards get Tyus Jones. I think the Wizards also 
Got a pick in there, uh, if I'm not mistaken. For I think Boston's 35th, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. There, Danilo Gallinari also in the deal. Mike Muscala also in the deal. Uh, both going to Washington. I would guess that they are both uh, probably probably not going to not going to stay in Washington. Uh, Washington now signals their clear rebuild. Uh, Zink Porzingis will decide whether he oh he's gonna opt in so he's opting into his 36 million dollar player option uh doesn't seem like boston is going to give him a major salary uh oh it's the warriors pick too for memphis so i i'm just re-catching myself up on the deal i saw they had the first round pick in 2024 it's actually the warriors top four protected pick which is kind of sneaky interesting okay so let's talk about why Memphis gave up so much. I think there's a lot of Bucks fans that are mad that the Celtics were able to fleece Memphis. I will tell you right now, this is exactly what I was fucking talking about. Uh, I had said to you guys, when we were talking about trades and we were talking about Middleton and we were talking about Drew Holiday, that I said to you guys, you can sell a team that they need the veteran presence, that they need the, the culture guy, they need you know a shakeup in the locker room. And I felt like Memphis was a perfect target for that. And I, I said that a few times, right? And and I, I will say, I feel like I've, I've been thinking about, you know, stuff I talk about during the shows and I'm like, do I tell you, do I remind you of too many things during, when I'm talking to the listener? Uh, maybe, and you can let me know, Tabby Keg on Twitter, Tabby Keg Sports on, on Instagram and, and TikTok. I think it's just to say like, this is why you listen. This is why you throw this in the group chat. This is why you get more people on board because I, I do... I, I do want to know what the fuck I'm talking about. So, and, and I don't think that's cocky. I don't, I really don't. Uh, I'm just telling you how it is. And I said, this is why you sell the Memphis idea. This is why you tell Memphis like, hey, look, we have guys that can change your culture, but we need we need guys back. And Memphis, and Boston did that with the combination of Chris Stapp's Porzingis coming over. I'm very thankful they didn't get Tyus Jones. I think Tyus Jones is a hell of a player. Uh, I think that it, the Bucks should inquire about maybe Tyus Jones, you know, to Milwaukee. I, I don't know if he can work with Drew Holiday as a starter, uh, barring that Drew Holiday's there, but they gave up so much. And I think it's because they wanted to change their culture and they wanted to get the next generation of Tony Allen. I think Marcus Smart's better than Tony Allen. And they knew that they could sell through, you know, Smart's attitude, Smart's demeanor to the Memphis fan base. That is a grit and grind player. Grit and grind still exists in Memphis. It's not as what it was in years past, but they have sort of a blue collar mentality there and Marcus Smart fits the role. And it's a perfect way for, hey, you saw what happened with all the Josh hit. Here's Marcus Smart. He is going to come in and sort of fix what's wrong. And I don't think Dylan Brooks will be on this team. I think this is a clear indication that Dylan Brooks is gone. I couldn't imagine a locker room with Dylan Brooks and Marcus Smart. I think there would be fights every day. I think you'd need to set up an octagon in the practice uh, facility just so those guys could have it out. But they overreacted. They clearly overreacted. Obviously, the Boston Celtics sold them and said, hey, look, we got other we got other people online interested about Marcus Smart. So it's either you do this deal now with us or we're going to look somewhere else. And they were like, fine, we'll give us that first round pick. And they give the Warriors pick, which I, I feel like is fascinating because I don't know if Golden State's going to be good next year. I know they have Steph Curry, right? But they are in a weird transition, right? And I know it's not a great draft uh, in 2024, but like, 
there there's a chance that that could be a lottery pick. Like there's no there's no saying that it might not be, and that if Golden State you know really takes a step back and ends up in the lottery, that pick goes to Boston Celtics. That's that's a that's a little bit of a risk there if you're Memphis, and you really have to hope that Marcus Smart is the difference maker here. And I, and for the Bucks, so Chris Porzingis obviously um, not on the on the Bucks. You know the Bucks now have to deal with Chris Stapps, but I do think that that is that's okay. Um, Chris Stapps is a guy that Giannis has handled. Uh, people forget that Giannis had 55. Uh, with the Porzingis-led Wizards um, earlier this year uh, in January. And so I, I do think that that's not going to be an issue. I don't think the Bucks are going to struggle uh, with Porzingis now on the Celtics roster. I know his defense was good last year. Kevin O'Connor was trying to sell that. It's similar to selling ice to an Eskimo. Like, I, I don't I don't believe Kevin O'Connor. Uh, I know Kevin probably wants a job in the Boston front office. So good on him. He does great work. Like, don't get me wrong. But that was clearly like either O'Connor's agent or somebody else that was pumping out these Porzingis defense numbers. Like, I'm not buying that. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just not. And the guy has not proven himself to be healthy. Um, and I, I just think he's going to struggle in a seven-game series with Giannis Antetokounmpo. You can call me an optimistic fan. You can call me a bias fan. But the fact now that the Bucks have ridden, ridden themselves likely of Marcus Smart and Grant Williams, two of the guys who have been the biggest pains in the ass in terms of in terms of the Buck Celtics rivalry, in terms of the flopping, is a huge fucking win for Milwaukee, and I think that needs to be celebrated in in a sense. Uh, I do think Przingis can provide problems, but I don't think he's going to provide as many problems as we might think. So, to me, this is a good step forward for the Milwaukee Bucks, and I, I think this helps them. I think this keeps. You know, Boston at sort of a C level, let's say. Now, there was a rumor that Jalen Brown might be going in a sign trade if that does happen. And Porzingis is the number two guy for the Celtics and not the number three guy. That that puts the Celtics down a peg. And so I guess we'll just have to see if that happens today. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm not sweating it. Uh, I, I'm okay with it. And I, I think it'll be very interesting to watch the Giannis Porzingis matchup because I, I don't think it's as a as good of a one as the Celtics media mafia is going to sell you on. Let's move on to the Milwaukee Brewers. The Milwaukee Brewers lost last night. Uh, they 5-1. to one. Zach Allen dominated the Brewers offense. The Brewers offense was only able to muster three runs. Uh, Craig Council was visibly frustrated after the game at the Brewers offense and I'm here to help Craig Council uh, with an ideal Brewers lineup and able to sort of put together, you know, what a, a good lineup looks like for the Milwaukee Brewers or the ideal lineup at the very moment. I think it's pretty clear to me that the Milwaukee Brewers at some point are going to call up Sal Freelich. When they call up Sal Freelich, uh, that remains to be seen. I think Sal's going to get, you know, sort of that bump up um, and be part of the Brewers offense sooner rather than later. Uh, I think they are giving him one or one or two, you know, a couple more series in Nashville before it's Freelich time. Now, I also think that with some of the prospects, they tend to wait till they're back home. I think they want to get them settled in in Milwaukee. I, I don't have that as fact, but I have noticed that, that sometimes they wait a little bit to say, all right, let's get you up to the bigs, you know, 
sort of in at home so you're a little more comfortable than we're immediately sending you out, you're immediately on the road and you're sort of figuring stuff out, out, out on the fly. The Brewers are going to be on the road here now for 10 games, I believe. So they have four against the Mets, they have three against the Guardians this weekend, and they have three against the Pirates before they're home for the 4th of July week against the Cubs and the Cincinnati Reds, which will be an awesome week of series. So that said, um, I don't expect Freelich to be up anytime soon. I think Keston Hura might have a chance to break through. Uh, if Jesse Winker, you know, kind of falls off and struggles, I don't know how much longer you can go with the Jesse Winker experience. I know he had a you know a couple good games here Sunday and, th- and Tuesday, so you're giving you're, you're giving yourself a chance to watch more of Winker. But you also might just pull the ripcord and say we need we need more offense. We need Keston Hura up now. I know uh, that Castillo has struggled when he doesn't play every day. I get that. But you get older, you change. Maybe, just maybe, that can change. change. The Brewers need as many spark plugs offensively as they can humanly get right now. And so Freelich and Hira are the two easiest answers. But they're not up. And I am tasking myself with building Craig Council the ideal lineup for this weekend against Cleveland. I think number one, it's Christian Yelich. Christian Yelich has, you know, sort of been above the fray. That's, I think, the craziest thing. I think that's maybe the most frustrating thing. Christian Yelich is playing like an all-star and everybody else fucking sucks around him. Uh, that just is is incredibly depressing because I think in years past, you know, 2021, 2022, we've had years where Christian Yelich isn't playing well and everybody else around him is doing, doing all right. And... It's now flipped. And so can Christian Yelich, you know, can can there be another person that plays at a Christian Yelich level and starts to carry the Brewers? Number two is William Contreras. We saw this uh, with the Brewers lineup on Tuesday and Wednesday. Contreras had the two hole. I don't like how many, how many ground outs he has. His ground ball rate is a little high at that two spot, but he's the second best hitter right now on the Brewers. You put him in that position. You put him in a run scoring, you know, run scoring opportunities. If you're so worried about the ground outs, maybe you have him lead off and Yelich hit second. Uh, but I think Contreras is at that two spot. He's been one of the most clutch hitters for the Milwaukee Brewers this year. So I think having Contreras at that two spot for the time being makes a lot of sense. I go Willie Adonis third. I, I, look, the Brewers don't have much right now. And you have to, you know, try different things. And Willie Adamas, I will put it that three hole. I will hope that Willie Adamas figures it out. Um, We've been waiting, I think, for a year plus now for Willie Adamas to figure out. I think it's fucking crazy for anyone to expect Willie Adamas should get an extension right now or want to pay Willie Adamas. I think Willie Adamas refusing extensions and thinking that he is a top shortstop is fucking delusional. Uh, because he's he's batting 200, right? Yeah, I can't remember the last Willie Adams home run. Uh, Willie Adams to me is you know right now playing like a replacement player shortstop. Maybe a little bit better than that, but I I, I don't really know where you know I, I need to see more from Willie Adams. And I still have him in the three hole because honestly I don't really have much else. I don't really have much else working for me. And so Willie Adams is hitting third. Fourth is Jesse Winker. Um, Jesse Winker, you know, again, it's not great, but it's, you know, that that is where you're at. Uh, year four hitter is Jesse Winker. He has struggled all year. 
Um, he takes a lot of walks, so maybe you, you have that going for you. Um, if he finds his power stroke again, that'd be fantastic, right? Uh, if he has an Aramis Ramirez summer, as I said in the review, that would be ideal. Number five, Brian Anderson. Not really seen ton from Brian Anderson, but he has had moments, um, and he's kind of what he is. You know, Brian Anderson is what he's been for his entire career. He's just he's kind of he has a couple hot streaks, he has a couple cold streaks, and that's you just kind of get what you expect with Brian Anderson. Number six is Rowdy Telez. I've Rowdy Telez down in the order. Uh, Rowdy to me needs to work his way back up. Rowdy has been terrible this year. Uh, this has been an awful year for Rowdy Telez. Um, I, I'm not surprised. I think we kind of should have seen this coming. I, I know Rowdy is a great clubhouse guy, but I almost would have sold high on Rowdy. Um, and I just, again, I have a fear that this is kind of who he is and not necessarily what the Brewers, you know, ultimately need at the first base position. Luis Urias has been hitting the ball well, but I'm still going to hit him seventh. Um, I'm not ready to say, yeah, Urias should be, you know, the five hitter or or even the four hitter. Uh, let's wait and see on if this, you know, hot streak is sustainable. If Urias starts really producing, then I think there is a real case for him to hit five and Anderson to hit seven. I think you could easily, easily swap the two. And maybe I should have just given, you know, Urias, Urias's recent success. I hit Blake Perkins eighth. I think... Blake Perkins, even though he, he hasn't played every day, I seem, it seems like he always makes shit happen. I think having a guy like that out on your roster is a good thing. Um, so I'm, I'm into that. I'm also into Victor Carantini playing a little bit more at the catcher position and Contreras DHing or Contreras playing first base and giving to let, like Carantini's had actually a pretty solid year. So if you're getting more Carantini at bats, I don't really hate that. And then Joey Weaver batting last at nine. So that to me is the lineup that I would go out with on Friday, uh, barring they're not facing a lefty. Yelich, Wild Bill Contreras, Willie Thomas, Jesse Winker, Brian Anderson, Ryan Telez, Luis Urias, Blake Perkins. Actually, we're going Urias five, Telez six, uh, Anderson seven, Blake Perkins eight, and Weimer nine. Brewers have to do something, man. You have to figure out how to save this offense because it's now we're now two months into this. So whether that's firing a hitting coach. Whether that is rethinking how the Brewers approach, going back to looking at the April tape to see how are, how are the Brewers you know, attacking and what are they doing now and what's changed? How do you fix that? And maybe they're working on it, right? We don't know. We don't get all the behind the scenes. But when Craig Council sounds like he's that frustrated in the offense, it means that whatever's whatever the Brewers are doing right now, Craig Council is not happy with it because there's way too much sputtering out of the Milwaukee Brewers. And this is now, what, the third or fourth day game, right? They're the Brewer, mid midweek day game the Brewers have struggled with. And I don't know. I just, I, I think they they hopefully, you know, maybe if you're looking at the glass half full approach, you could say, well, they scored what? They scored over five runs in, or they scored four runs, I think, in that. No, they had five runs in the Pittsburgh game. So they had five runs in all three Pittsburgh games. They had five runs in the Arizona game. So that's that's four out of your four out of your last six, and maybe that's a sign of things to come. Uh, you're obviously dealing with you know the Mets pitching staff. You'll probably see at least Scherzer and Verlet. You'll definitely see one. You probably see both in a four game series. And Cody, Kodai Senga also very good at home. So you're going to deal with a lot of that. You know next week. You know, the Guardians have a solid pitching staff as well. 
So you're going to have to try to figure it out here on the road and see if you can sort of revive the offense because the NL isn't slowing, NL Central isn't slowing down. The Reds have won 11 straight. The Chicago Cubs keep winning baseball games to where the Cubs are kind of almost switching spots with the Pittsburgh Pirates. So they're right there. The Brewers are going to have to have a good good trip here and try to get, you know, six and four, five and five out of it and really hope that that, you know, comes to life here over the weekend and feeling good. I mean, four and two homestand, you feel pretty good about. That means you, you know, hypothetically means you won two series. Now, Brewers swept Pirates, lost the series against the Diamondbacks, but try to keep building series wins. I think that should be the emphasis. If you can win all three series on the road this week and head into the last final stretch of Chicago and Cincinnati, you're probably sitting in a pretty good spot if you are the Brew Crew. All right, let's wrap up today's show with some talk about the Wisconsin Badgers. We we haven't talked about the Wisconsin Badgers in quite some time. Uh, And that's not like intentional or anything. Uh, It's just in terms of, you know, I, I think talking about recruits or talking about potential recruits is not necessarily the content that you guys look for. Uh, for my Marquette buds uh, who don't know, uh, who haven't followed along for a while, I do like Badger football. I know that that is a uh, crime to some Marquette fans. I know that that, you know, makes me not part of the cool kids, but I do not fan keep. I do not gatekeep. I, I don't give a fuck. That, you know, certain people online are like, you can't be a Badger fan. Fuck that. Um, I wouldn't say that I am as intense about the Badgers as I am with the Bucks, the Brewers, uh, the Green Bay Packers, and Marquette. Uh, they're on another rung. Uh, so, like, I don't get wound up uh, when the Badgers lose. Um, now, maybe if they start winning, maybe that changes things. I'm a little more fair-weathery with the Badgers. I'll, I'll fully admit that. So... That said, uh, I still want to talk about him. And we're going to talk about him heading into the season. I have a Luke Fickle take that I'm, I've been just kind of, you know, simmering. It's like in the crockpot. I have it there. I, I'm going to wait till probably August to unveil. Uh, but I, I do think it's a good one. Um, and so at some point on a, you know, a non-content day, we'll, I'll give you that Luke Fickle take. So let's talk about the Badger recruiting because I, I think that has been a very interesting development here in the last day, uh, or last day, last couple of days. Nathan Roy, uh, who's from McGuanago, uh, who is the top recruit here in Wisconsin for next season, is going to Minnesota. He is going to play for P.J. Fleck and the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Uh, Nathan Roy... Explained his commitment uh, to Jesse Temple in The Athletic as well as the McGuanago head coach. I actually thought it was a really good read. Uh, Jesse does good work uh, for The Athletic. I'm glad to see he held on and kept his job uh, because it was, it was a fascinating read. It was also really fun to watch Nathan Roy play football. Uh, that guy is a stud. You can see why he's a top player in Wisconsin. He's an absolute fucking hoss out there. Like he, he can definitely move bodies. Um, and whether it's pass block, run block, he is definitely that. So he goes to Minnesota over Wisconsin. He didn't even put Wisconsin in his top three. Uh, it was down to UCLA, Michigan State, or Minnesota. So the question, the, the question is raised, why did he go to Wisconsin? This is, an offensive, this is like an awesome offensive lineman. How did he not end up in Wisconsin? Well, it was interesting with Temple that he lived in California most of his life. He didn't grow up watching the Badgers. He didn't have dreams of being a Badger offensive lineman. I think part of the reason why I like Wisconsin you know, still is because I was an offensive lineman. I grew up an offensive lineman. I watched Joe Thomas. I idolized Joe Thomas. I thought Joe Thomas 
was such a fantastic player and he was from Brookfield where I was, you know, I live now, but I was only, you know, 10 minutes away in Wauwatosa. So I saw Joe Thomas as sort of the, the standard and I wanted to be Joe Thomas. And I, I don't know who the new age equivalent of that would be if you're, if you're Nathan Roy, but that, that doesn't exactly exist uh, for maybe him. And because he's a California kid, you know, there is, you know, there's no loyalty there, which is okay. It's totally fine. And it seems like Minnesota, Brian Callahan got in on the ground floor and PJ's flex a seller. He can, he can sell, sell, you know, we talk about ice to an Eskimo, you know, he can sell fire to the devil. Like that's who PJ Fleck is. And I'm not a huge PJ Fleck guy. Uh, I don't pretend to be. Uh, I have I have someone I know who's on the, on his staff and I'm happy for him and I'm happy that he's working for PJ and doing a great job there. So all love, uh, all love in that respect. But I, I'm not surprised why he's there. I'm not surprised that Fleck is getting into the Wisconsin recruiting. I think you knew that Wisconsin, you know, Minnesota was going to be more of a challenge when Flex took over, and Flex got Minnesota to a certain point. Now he hasn't got him over the hump, but I think Flex is still driving to that. And if he does get Minnesota over that hump, and I, what I mean by that, I mean like getting to the Big Ten title game, getting to a Rose Bowl. Like if he achieves that for Minnesota, like that will put Minnesota on another strategy. Now it might take another job, right? Because I, I don't think Fleck has any loyalty in his body. Like, I think the guy would is similar to Buzz Williams. Like, to me, he's football Buzz Williams. He will go to another job when he perfectly sees fit. He will extract as much money out of Minnesota, okay? So I, I'm not, I would not be surprised if he, if he ends up somewhere else. But him getting Nathan Roy, really it was more Brian Callahan and the, the Minnesota offensive line coach who has got other guys from Wisconsin as well. I'm not necessarily surprised. I'm not necessarily like shocked that Nathan Roy, you know, ends up there. So I, I don't look at that one as a bad one here for for Wisconsin. Uh, I don't think that is a big deal. Now, Temple points out that they do not have any of the top four recruits for the following year going to Wisconsin, and that is unprecedented in the state of Wisconsin. So there are two kids who are going to Penn State. Actually, there are three kids that are going to Penn State. And Penn State has sort of sunk their fangs into the state of Wisconsin. And they saw an area of opportunity. And part of this is Paul Chris' fault. Now, I know what you guys are going to say. Charlie, that's, that's crazy. That's crazy for you to blame the guy beforehand. But the fact is the Badgers didn't do a good enough job leading up to these recruits, you know, sort of, you know, Climax. These recruits sort of when they're ready to make decisions. They're ready to go to university. And the fact that the Badgers, you know, were struggling so much recruiting wise early on that they did not sort of provide the table stakes. They did not sort of provide the communication for these guys. And they let Penn State sort of in the door. And so because Penn State got in the door, they were able to bring in these talents. Now, could these guys, you know, end up not being the players that maybe they thought and they end up in the transfer portal and they go back to Wisconsin, absolutely on the table. You just never know uh, with today's today's college football. I think that Wisconsin is trying to build more of a national brand. They're trying to get Illinois. They're trying to get St. Louis. They're trying to get you know New Jersey back. They're trying to get Florida. The Texas. They're trying. They are more. They are building a national brand with Luke Fickle and Phil Longo. 
It is a different approach. It's not necessarily what Wisconsin, you know, maybe has done in the past. And I think that's tough for some people to take. Uh, Tom Oates being anti-Luke Fickle is fucking hilarious. Like, no one is showing their hand more than Tom Oates. Tom Oates clearly got every little crumb of pussy from Paul Crist and is showing it with the way he talks about the Fickle administration. And obviously, him being retired is part of that, but it's so transparent. It's so funny. I didn't realize this existed, and then I went to Tom Oates' page, and it's just, oh my God, it is hilarious. Uh, so I, I don't think that it is that big of a deal for this year. I think this is a transition year. I think this was probably going to happen regardless of whoever the coach was. I think unless it was part of guys who have already been in contact, like had Jim Leonard stayed the coach, I think you would have seen maybe more guys potentially stay. But because Leonard left and because it's a new regime, it's a new sort of approach to Badger football, I think some of these recruits need to see it first, especially those in Wisconsin who grew up watching a certain brand of Badger football. I think once they see it, once they see it successfully work, I do think you could see you know more guys coming back and more guys sort of looking at it and saying, oh, well, I want to play for this. I want to live for this. I think Fickle's approach is not for everybody. I think you know he is a, a different style than what Paul Christ is. Phil Longo's a different style than what you know any Badger offensive coach had been in the past. Badgers did a hell of a job with the, the transfer portal, getting their guys you know out of place, and we've seen you know the turnaround just using the transfer portal. So as I kind of said about Middleton not freaking out uh, at the beginning of the show, I don't think you freak out about about this. I think Roy is obviously a big loss, and he goes to Minnesota, and the kids that go on to Penn State. But if you read you know Temple's you know great piece. It didn't seem like the Badgers had that much of a shot. And a part of that falls on the communication from the coaching staff prior that they did not stay in enough contact with these guys to sort of make them feel like the Badgers could be home. And I also think there is a general feeling of you want to try something new and you want to leave the state. And there's a lot of pressure. There was a TJ Watt thing that I didn't talk about um, that maybe Mitch and I will cover. I don't know. We probably won't. But I I want to talk about TJ Watt, uh, who basically said that he was glad he didn't get drafted by the Packers. And it, it frames a lot of the TJ Watt discussion. Uh, but it's definitely something I want to talk about on Monday in more detail. So let's save that for Monday. But I, I do think, you know, there is a inherent pressure to play at Wisconsin. And going to Penn State, going to Minnesota – you don't have as much pressure on you to perform. You don't have people up your ass all the time asking you to be a badger. You don't have these weird people. Well, you have the weird people tweeting at you no matter what. Those people who tweet at recruits or like, and then the Badgers also lost the guy to Illinois. Uh, they also had a guy reopen his equipment, a tight end for Wanakee. Again, that type of shit will happen. Just because that guy opened up his recruitment again doesn't mean that that tight end for Wanakee can't come back. The guy, the corner from that, you know, went you know, to, to Illinois, they can sell them on, hey, we had Devin Witherspoon drafted. Like, they're, they're going to sell that that idea. They're going to sell that through Aaron Henry, former Badger too, uh, now the defensive coordinator. So I think having a defensive coordinator that's a former, you know, premier corner in, in, the, in the Big Ten really helps that. But at the end of the day, like, you have weird guys. I was, I got 
sidetracked there because I looked at both of those guys and you just had weird ass Badger fans tweeted at these dudes. Like the, the people that run those accounts, like I know you probably won't listen to this and you don't care, but get a fucking life. Get a goddamn life. Could you imagine? Could you imagine meeting one of those people and are like, oh yeah, I tweet at recruits all the time. I, I would probably be such an asshole to those, those folks that I would just be like, what like what propels you to care this much about teenagers? Like, why do you care so much? Like, do you have like, are you a sicko? Like, kind of succession style? Are you a sicko? Like, that that would be the question I would ask because I, I think it's just unreal. It's an unreal way to to do business. I I, I don't I don't get it at all. All right, but I I will say that the theme of this show is don't freak out. Don't freak out about Chris Middleton. Don't freak out about the Badger recruiting. I think. Maybe forgot a little bit about the Brewers' offense, but uh, even that, maybe, maybe not. Maybe there's help on the way. Maybe you know this is just a down period, and at some point the Brewers are going to hopefully catch fire, like we're seeing with the Reds and Giants. All right, that'll do it for solo shows this week. We will be back on Monday. Uh, we'll recap the weekend. Uh, we'll talk about you know anything Brewers Guardians related. I'm trying to think if there will be anything else to talk about. Well, I'm sure there'll be some draft residual. Maybe we'll start hearing some more free agent murmurs. Um, and then we'll figure out what we're doing show-wise uh, the following weekend. Um, because, yeah, it's going to be it's gonna be a crazy one uh, with NBA free agency and everything, everything that is happening. All right, take care of yourself. Have a great Thursday. Enjoy the draft. We'll see you tomorrow with Mitch and I. Take care. Bye.